Uh, we are almost through our brief summer series on the life of, of Elijah and, and Elisha. Now, if you recall, uh, we're doing this for two reasons. We're looking at their lives uh, for two reasons. Before I give you the first reason, uh, let, me, let me say this, if you're going to understand the first reason. And that is this, that, that, that the Bible, we believe, at Redeemer, is one book in two parts. There's the Old Testament and the New, but it's one, it's one story. It's, it's the history of redemption. It's the gospel. And, and so the old is kind of the gospel contained, and the new is the gospel explained. And so we have to look at the Old Testament to see the gospel uh, that is there. And so the first reason that we are studying these two prophets is because I'm trying to show, and John and I have been trying to show the parallel between John the Baptist and Jesus with Elijah and Elisha. It's amazing, and the reason I say that is it is our desire that you understand that the Bible is trustworthy. Uh, you can't just look at the Bible and say, well, these are stories thrown together because there wouldn't even be liberal scholars who've been studying this for 200 years. It's the Word of God. It's, it's, it's united, and so it's important for us to see that Jesus himself says that John the Baptist is Elijah. And we saw how Elijah came, and the word name Elijah means God is the Lord, and he is bringing judgments against the northern kingdom that had begun to move away from the worship of Yahweh. And then devastation comes. I mean, judgment comes. And then Elisha shows up on the scene, and what's amazing is that the name Elisha means God saves. And so John the Baptist is the Elijah who's the forerunner of Jesus Christ who's predicted all the way back here is the God who saves. Now that's the first reason that we're looking at Elijah and Elisha. I want you to appreciate the scriptures. And in fact, you won't appreciate them if you don't read them. You really won't. You won't see the amazing complexity and yet simplicity of it. Now the second reason that we've been looking at the this story is because uh, the culture at that time was very similar to ours. Very similar. Because what they had done is what we have done, particularly in the south. And the northern kingdom still wanted to hang on to Yahweh and believe in Yahweh, but at the same time, not everything about Yahweh. Not everything about the Lord. And so they began to, as it were, blend together with trying to blend the God of the universe with these false gods. And what always happens is when you move away from believing God and His Word and what God's Word says and you begin to trust all the magazines and everything else that's out there and all the teachings in different churches that push us away from Christ, then you begin to get very confused. And one of the ways, and what we're going to see this morning, is that confusion never leads to clear testimony to the Word of the Lord from you. And I don't, I don't know everybody here. I have no idea where you're coming from. Some of you might be unbelievers. You know you're unbelievers. You're here today because family brought you here. Or I don't know why you're here. I don't know where you're coming from. But the fact of the matter is you have to believe something. And uh, if you have a little bit, I believe a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, then really, how can you build anything on that? How can you build a life on that? But we, what we have in the scripture from the beginning to the end is why things are the way they are, what God has done about it in Christ, 
And we celebrate communion every Sunday as a promise of a meal to come. That's why we're here, right? And I'll tell you, if you're an unbeliever, you need to know that you sit in the presence of God all the time. As to whether he reveals himself to you, that's completely up to him. I don't think we have any rights on God, so to speak. And the only thing we can do is sinners. And, and if you don't get there, you'll never know Jesus. Is to say, God, I need to hear from you. Now, I want to tell you something. I want to encourage you. If you've really screwed your life up and you're really messed up and you're going, man, religion is for good people. Well, no, no. That's not what we believe here. Christianity is for those who are here today who are willing to admit they're lepers like the ones we're going to read about. Now, if you'll notice, as we read our text, you're, probably if you're visiting, you're going, man, is that dude going to read all that stuff? <laughs> and I do think we're setting a record today. <laughs> Presbyterians like to read, but I, I, have, to, I have to read this. And uh, I don't know how long it's going to take to read it, but the reason I've got to read this is because the whole the context... You've got to understand everything from the beginning to the end, and, and it really starts back in chapter 6. And uh, I hope I have my bulletin here. I think I do. Uh, I want you to turn there. Now, if, if, if you have your Bible, turn there. I want you who are visiting to know that we believe that this is the inerrant Word of God. So if you've kind of been kind of sitting here and listening and going through, I'm telling you, you need to listen now. Maybe God has brought you here today to convert you. So... This is God's word, 2 Kings. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. That's the, northern, that's the capital of the northern kingdom. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help me, Lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. And so we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. And when the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he, he had sackcloth beneath on his body, and he said, May God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Quite an answer, isn't it? Elijah was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murder has set, sent to set my head off? Look, when the messengers come, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, 
Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And then the captain of the, whose hand the king leaned said to, him, to, to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we will also die. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall die, but die. So they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Assyrians, behold, there were none there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses and the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off the silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent, carried off things from it and went, went and hid them. And then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians. And behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied, and tents were still there. And then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. The king rose in the night, and he said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done. They have They know that we're hungry, and therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, Let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left will fare with the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. And let us send and see. And so they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And so they went after them as far as the Jordan. Behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain of whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate. And so he died as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, Two seas of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel. About this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God. If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, You shall see it with your own eyes but ye shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him that the people trampled him in the gate and died. Wow, it's a lot. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless our time together.
Father, we ask for your presence this morning. We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit in the time that we have that what needs to be said would be said to engage us. We pray that the gospel would be preached and that we would be challenged to profess to know Jesus, to speak forth Jesus. And we ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, recently, one of the most prominent uh, seminarians, I mean professors, uh, pastors of the last uh, 20th century died, one of the great theologians. His name was John Stott. I've mentioned John Stott to you before. John Stott was an Anglican priest. Uh, he, was, he was faithful uh, to the scriptures. In fact, I would say to you, if, if, you're a, if you're not a Christian and you're interested in Christianity, one of the best books ever written for you to understand the faith, if you don't understand it, is a book called Basic Christianity. And I would encourage you to read that book. And if you want me to read it with you, I'll read it with you. Because I want you to know Jesus. But one of the books that he wrote was directly written for Christians, and it is the title of uh, our sermon uh, today. <clears throat> and it's called Our Guilty Silence. And the book was written to those who he said profess Christ, those who believe the Bible. Uh, those who would argue, as it were, for their denomination, or whether it's Presbyterian or Methodist or Roman Catholicism, whatever it may be. But they never talk about Jesus. They, 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 they profess this life uh, that has come through Christ. And that's what we profess. But they themselves remain silent. Now, I think our text at least addresses what John Stott is saying. Because most of the players in our text, most of the characters that we'll look at in the brief time that we have, are covenant people. They're Israelites. They're Jews whom God has called out of all the nations to be a light to all the nations. But rather than being that, the Jews closed shop. It all became about being Jews, just like churches. Churches that no longer preach the gospel of Jesus, who no longer uh, have this desire to see the community reached. I mean, we're about to finish a warehouse in the back. It's going to be an incredible fellowship hall. And I'm going to ask us, what are we going to do with it? Will 25, 30 years from now, it'll just be for Redeemer people? Or we open up that building... For those in need, who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only non-Jew in our text is Ben-Hadad, who's the king of Aram. And I'm going to mention him in a little bit, because he was the pagan king uh, of the Arameans or the, or the Syrians, who should know better to come against Israel because it was his good friend Naaman, who was actually healed of leprosy in chapter 5 and yet refuses to believe the word of the Lord. So who's in the text? Well, the women. It's an unbelievable story, right? I mean, it's hard to read. I'm sure it's hard as a mother to listen to this text. They were Jews, God's people. Jehoram, the king, son of Ahab. He was a Jew. The messenger, who's the captain that was sent by the king. He was Jewish. The lepers, 
The four lepers, they were Jews. But for the most part, what we see are God's covenant people speaking for sure, but they're not speaking about His goodness and His grace, which is mercy comes right in the midst of all the famine and all the discipline that's there. There's there's nothing that says they repented, is there, in our text? But rather than speaking of the goodness of God, they speak against Him. And they don't look to Him. Now here's what I want us to think about in the few moments that we have left. If you're a member of the visible church through baptism, whether it's infant or believer's baptism, let's just just say you've been baptized, but you have no concern for others entering the kingdom of God, have you yourself entered the kingdom of God? You might be a member of the visible church. You might be a member in good standing. You might be a deacon in a Baptist church, a Presbyterian, and a, or an elder in a Presbyterian church, or a deacon in a Presbyterian church. In fact, as we interview a new minister who comes in, I want you to know, I just want you to know, that one of the first questions he's going to be asked, have you led anybody to Christ? You're a minister of the gospel. Are you preaching Christ uh, to the lost? So, I only have two points. But that's the proposition, right? I mean, who really, I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? Is it to believe right things? It's hard, I'm telling you, it's hard to introduce a person to a person you don't know. I could give you my wife's bio, or maybe you could read it, go to, you know, uh, what's scary is you can type your name in on the internet, right? And boom. <laughs> but, but that's not knowing somebody. So here's the first thing to see. Number one, the implausibility of being a silent Christian. It's implausible. Um, certainly people are speaking here, but they're really, most of them are not speaking of God's covenant people, uh, of the goodness of of God. Most of what is spoken, as we'll see, is basically skepticism, unbelief, bitterness. Wow, that sounds like a lot of church people, doesn't it? Well, I want to read a quote by a Baptist of the 18th century uh, who says, talks about the implausibility of Christians not speaking about Christ. Matter of fact, uh, he used the word heinous. I think that's too strong a word. But I do think it's implausible. Uh, Here's what he says, and then I'll move to the second point due to time. Such silence of professing Christians is inhuman. If there were those literally dying of hunger, what would we say about a man who contented himself with sitting in his own back room where nobody could see his abundance and feasting to the full whilst his fellow citizens were dying of starvation? Why, you would say he's a brute. And if Christian people believed as thoroughly that that men and women without the bread of God that comes from heaven were starving and dying of hunger, 
as they believed that men without literal bread must die, there would, would not be so many silent ones among them. And they would feel more distinctly than any of us feel now the responsibility that is laid upon them and the inhumanity of the sin. Now listen, I believe that people are in darkness. I, 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 as I've talked to people over the 40 years I've been a Christian, there are people who are just completely oblivious to the gospel. Maybe you're that way. Maybe today God will have mercy upon you and open your eyes to see your sin and your need for Jesus Christ and to quit making excuses so you can continue to sin and remain an atheist or an agnostic or something, I'm not one of those born-again Christians. There's only one kind of Christian, those who've been regenerate by the Holy Spirit. Those who've been made alive by grace. That's a Christian. And it's time that we begin to ask ourselves, well, if I'm not telling anybody about this, and you might go, well, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a gifted speaker, I'm not this, I'm not that. Well, look, if you're not prophetic, be priestly. Talk to Jesus about these people. Your neighbors, pray for them. Because the wages of sin is death, my friends. And the wrath of God is coming, my friends. Jesus Christ came, the humble servant, to lay his life down for sinners. And he will gladly receive all lepers who come to him in faith and repentance. Now's your time. Because he comes again, not with mercy, but with justice. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be standing here. That's the first thing. Well, I have about five or ten minutes left to tell you the second thing that I want you to think about. And that is this. The difference between church members and church members who are also true citizens of God's kingdoms. In other words, the difference between those who've been baptized with water and those who've been baptized by absolute grace and the Holy Spirit. Which you're, you know, the first thing that happens is you're made alive to see your wretched estate. And if that has never happened, you will remain in your sin. Last week we talked about diagnostics. A couple of weeks ago, spoke about you know how you know uh, is a person moving toward Christ or away from Christ. And then we said, well, you have to ask yourself that question, don't you? Are you moving toward Christ or away from Christ? But there is no in between. You can't be neutral about this. Jesus has come. Jesus has spoken. He's died. He's raised. He's coming again. You cannot be neutral. About this. So, I just want to do a quick diagnostics before we close by looking at these covenant people. Okay? And I want you to see which one fits for you. Be honest. God loves honest people because if you get honest, you'll get broken. If you get defensive, then you'll never know Jesus. And the first is this, the mothers. God's covenant people. What do we see in these mothers? Well, what we see a lot today. 
Mothers who are driven not by faith, not by trust, but by their own desires. And you look at this and you go, man, I wish you hadn't read this text. I'll be thinking about this. Mothers eating their children. That's, that's just unbelievable. It's terrible. And yet what they want is control. And so the first mother, she comes and she complains about the injustice of the other woman. And of course the other woman has twofold sin. Her own narcissism toward, her own, uh, toward, toward, toward eating another child, but, but, but also... Not keeping her pledge. Boy, I tell you, I see no more pain and suffering in the church when we as believers are so much wanting to control our own lives that we abuse or discourage other believers in the body of Christ. You say, well, I, can't, I just can't imagine mothers like that. Well, We abort millions of babies (laughs) created by God in the name of choice. But if you are one who's here who believes that, that it's okay to abort a child, then let me just tell you this. That choice means death for somebody. Here's what the psalmist says. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Isaiah 49, 15. But then it goes on to say, even these may forget. In other words, the answer is yes. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. You know what that means? It means if you have had an abortion, I'm sure that there are women who are here who have had that. And you've seen that it doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to more control. It leads to pain and suffering and guilt for you and those around you. And the whole society is experiencing the death of a society. But God says, I will, n- I will not forget you. I am faithful. And then, of course, there's Jehoram, the king of Israel. And how does he respond? How is he responding to just judgment coming against Israel for being idolaters? Well, he loses patience. He's wearing sackcloth. And his father did that. Ahab wore sackcloth. And he actually, Ahab repented, and so God relented on some things on Ahab. So maybe he's thinking, well, I'm going to wear sackcloth. I'll go to church. I'll do what it's, I'm I'm supposed to do to get out of this situation, and it doesn't happen. And what does he do? He wants Elisha's head. And, and, and so what does that mean? That, that means that, well, basically, uh, he is not waiting on, on God because that certainly didn't work. Now, how many of you are like that this morning? I'm sure that there is there who, who are here this morning who no longer share the faith who once shared their faith, but like Jehoram, rather than repenting and asking God for mercy, you eventually lose patience with him, and, uh, and you just, uh, you, you really are angry at God. You know, why am I single? I don't really like God anymore, because I'm single. I thought I'd get married. Or, you're sitting next to a person who does not like their spouse, and they're going, I wish I had not married this person. God, why did you let me marry this person? 
or your business, or your life, or you're 50-something years old like me, and life didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, and rather than continue to wait upon the Lord, even if He doesn't come into, to you until He comes again, you lose patience, and you want to be done with God and all His servants. Are you that this morning? Hard-hearted? And then, of course, uh, there is the messenger. And I want to address this to you quickly. The messenger is the skeptic. Elijah says, listen, mercy's coming. I promise you, God is going to have mercy. And tomorrow, you, you can buy whatever you want to for nothing because I'm going to provide. And what does he say? He's a cynic. He's a skeptic. He says, even if the heavens were to open up, this is impossible. Well, it's the same phrase that she used for those who mocked Noah, about the flood, and then God opened the heavens. And then all the skeptics went to the highest hill until they drowned in judgment. It's it's really sad how many skeptics there are in the church, cynical people. By the way, cynical people won't be here to pray because they don't believe in prayer. You might be a church member, but you're not going to come at five because you know what? You don't believe in it anyway. And so rather than talking about Christ, you're the one who's always making other people cynical about the gospel. And there'll be a great judgment upon you who are baptized. You who say you know Jesus Christ, and yet your whole life is about refuting the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God have mercy upon you. And then finally, the lepers. They're covenant people of God. And man, they're the hopeless of the hopeless. But I want you to see what they do. And then we close. The first thing they do is they, they look at their situation. They, it's like, well, hey, what do we got to lose? If you got that point in your own life, it's just like, man, my life is so screwed up. I have, I have no hope. And if Jesus doesn't do something, I'm in trouble. Now, how many of you are sitting there waiting on Jesus to do something? You're a hyper-Calvinist, even if you're not a Calvinist, even, even if you're an Arminian or whatever. Oh, I forget those words. You're sitting there, well, if God's going to do something, let him do it. No, let me tell you what. You go. You get up, and you go, and you get on your knees. For Jesus says, whosoever comes, but you must come. But not only that, they feast. So they come, and when they come, it's all the stuff's out there. Can you imagine what that would be like? You're hungry, you're starving. And they go in, they begin to feast. And, uh, and so they, they're doing the, they're, I mean, it's awesome for them. Now, let me tell you, I really think when you, when you first come to know Christ, I really think you just feast upon him. I remember I just want to be around Christians all the time. But eventually, uh, I thought, hmm. Well, I don't want to be around a lot of Christians most of the time. <laughs> no, but, but it's like, it's time to go. It's time to go. And so after they feast, the third thing that you see is that they're convicted. That this is not right. To gorge ourselves when there are hollow-eyed people behind the walls of Samaria. 
I am convinced that if you do not speak of Christ, I think it's because you're not feasting upon Him. You, you, because He must be the pearl of great price. He must be the treasure. And then as you feast upon Him, He's living. He's alive. He's the living Word. And then you're, you become alive. And when you become alive, unlike zombies who eat people and turn them into zombies, like we do, people feed upon us as we feed upon Christ. You know, you don't take a songbird and put it in a cage, do you? You take a songbird, put it in a cage, cover it up, and it's singing, singing, and not singing, and not singing, and then it dies. You don't take plants and put them in your basement. No sun, no nourishment. Because they die. Jay, if you're removing yourself from the people of God and the body of Christ, if you're removing yourself from the Word of God and the sacraments, you're dying. And you need to return. And as you return, I believe this God will be faithful to you. And if He's faithful to you, you'll be faithful. To share him with other people. Let me conclude. Um, I got to tell you about John Sisson. Um, when I was in Mississippi, I was a campus minister, and I had to get ordained. Like Matt Siple's going to have to go through that process. It's pretty nerve wracking, and uh, stand up in front of a hundred men and tell what you know, what you don't know. Pretty nerve nerve wracking, isn't it, Justin? So I was, I, you know, but and you, of course, you want to do well. And uh, so, man, I'm starting the ministry, and, and uh, I got so much stuff going on, I can't ever study, can't ever study, can't ever study. So I got up one early one day, because it was the next day I was going to get examined by these guys. So the next day, I get up early in the morning. I'm going to leave at 5 in the morning, okay, to sneak out, to go somewhere, to, to I can at least have 24 hours to study Old Testament, New Testament, theology, church history, and all that other stuff. So I'm walking out my door, and all of a sudden, I had a neighbor that was right up above me on a hill. And this is in Mississippi. He, his name was John Sisson. He was 85 years old. And I'm going to my car, trying to hide, trying to get out. And all of a sudden, I hear, hey, neighbor. <laughs> oh, hey, John, how are you? Hey, neighbor, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, man, why does this always happen to me? So I said, yeah, John, what do you want to talk to? He said, I need to talk to you, preacher. So I went up and talked to John. I said, John, what do, what do you want to talk about? He said, Preacher, I'm getting ready to die. I know that. And I'm not ready. And you're a preacher. Would you tell me how I can die well? And I said, no, John, I've got a, a, an exam tomorrow. So I, uh, No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I was probably saying, God, okay, I'll talk to you about Christ and embarrass myself in front of all these other men. So now we went up and we had breakfast together. And I shared with him the beauties of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I shared the gospel with him, John Sisson had tears coming down his eyes. And he said two things I'll never forget. The first thing he said was this. Preacher, I've been in Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, non-denomination churches all my life, and I've never heard what you just told me. Never heard the gospel. And then he said, I feel so clean. A lot of John Sisson's out there. He's in heaven now. 
Do not remain silent. And for us as God's people at Redeemer, may we be a church that's set on a hill, not for us, but for this city.